So many of our college and career students uh, do participate, especially young people. Uh, that's kind of mind-blowing if you ask me that we have our college students that are teaching our little ones to grow up and follow in their shoes. So what a blessing that is. I thank them for that. Well, as you know, for the past six weeks or so, we've been exploring eternity. Eternity and what awaits you after death. Now, it's one thing to talk about the death of adults. It's another one altogether to talk about little children, babies, and even infants that die before they're born. However, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Peter made it clear, speaking about Jesus, saying, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He made it clear. So I asked myself, does God treat children, infants, and even babies who die before they're born the same as he treats men and women and young people who have clear, had clear opportunity to accept Jesus as their Savior? Undoubtedly, one of the most heartbreaking events a person can experience is the death of a child. And when this happens, we're faced with a question. What about the children? What about the children who die before they're old enough to make a decision for themselves? Today's message is for those who have lost a baby but it's also for all of you who will be called upon one day to minister to those who have lost a baby. So if someone were to ask you, is my baby in heaven? How would you respond? If you haven't faced that question, there will likely be a day when you will. And as believers, we are very tempted to just blurt it out and answer, well, of course he is. Of course your baby's in heaven. But I want to ask you, is that what the Bible teaches? Or is that what you say because you want to comfort a person who is experiencing loss? In his book, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, James MacArthur, John MacArthur discusses some responses that were given to a couple who had recently lost their baby. These responses should make you cringe at the callousness of some people. First of all, he begins by pointing out that very few friends, very few neighbors ever even mentioned the birth of this baby to this couple. Now that's bad in itself. Because I want to tell you that most people in their shoes, they need the reassurance that their child mattered in the lives of other people. They want to talk about their child. I mean, this baby was part of their life. So if the people cry, don't be uncomfortable. If they cry... Just hurt right along with them. 
one woman came to visit that young mother and said, Darling, it was for the best. Just forget it ever happened and don't talk about it no more. Another woman said to her, It's too bad you let your baby get so cold. That young mother hadn't even considered the fact, considered the possibility that the death of her baby might be somehow her fault. But the worst thing that was said was not to the mother, it was to her husband. When someone said to her, God must not have wanted your wife to have a daughter. What an incredibly callous and cold-hearted thing to say. Friends, when a tragedy like this occurs, we as God's servants should comfort them with answers from the Bible and not create more questions like, why did God allow this to happen to my child? Or, who's to blame for this? Those are insignificant issues. So, do the things you say make those who are suffering suffer more? Let me give a little advice to a couple of you, many of you, who will be called to minister to someone who has lost a baby. Choose your words carefully. Be careful what you say and don't be insensitive. Just because the things you say are true doesn't mean they need to be said. Because sometimes in trying to be spiritual, we come out being real insensitive. Some people attempt to offer comforting words like, oh darling, God has a plan. Or it must have been God's will. Well, duh. Sure, God has a plan, but it's not always pretty, and it's not always fun. And think about Jesus' death for a second. Jesus' death was horrific. The death of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, was absolutely terrifying. The death of God's Son was unimaginably painful, not only for our Savior, but for His mother. And it was not okay. It was not okay. Nothing takes the pain away from the cross. Not even the will of God. And the death of a child can be Nothing short of horrific. And nothing will change that. Anything good that comes from the death of a child will be a separate miracle of God. Any comfort or encouragement that's given a grieving mother is a miracle apart from that child's death. And it does not lessen its significance in any way, any shape, or any form. That parents, they'll never look back on the death of their child and say it was good. Never. Maybe someday they might see a, a separate miracle that God did as a result of that and it occurred along the way. Maybe those separate miracles might be good. But the death of their child was not good. 
it was very painful. And those parents will grieve. And those parents will go through pain. Therefore, neither they nor you should pretend like it didn't hurt. Their only alternative in a situation like that is to trust God and endure that pain. Now, there are no Bible passages that clearly address the sensitive issue, but I believe that there are a number of passages that can help us understand the message of God, the message of God's word on this subject. So this morning, I want to share with you three resounding principles that I've found that I believe help us answer the question, is my baby in heaven? The first being the concern of our father. It's no accident that God is referred to in the Bible as our heavenly father. And the heart of our heavenly father is repeatedly revealed in the scriptures. So I want to show you three expressions of our father's heart, our heavenly father's heart. First of all, our father God designs every human life. Any discussion of what about the children must begin with the fact that the Bible says that life begins at the moment of conception. Period. Every single life that's conceived is a person. Is a person. The Bible's very clear on that point. Therefore, any death occurring after the moment of conception is the death of a person. No doubt about that. And all persons have eternal souls. They're not anonymous masses of tissue. They're not simply a fetus. These are babies. They're babies. And Father God knows us. Knows us long before we're born. For he declared to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. And then in Psalm 139, in the New Living Translation, the Bible says that our Father God has designed the unborn. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your workmanship is marvelous. Oh, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was being woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me, Lord, before I was ever born. Every day of my life is recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day passed. Our Father God designs every human life. But not only that, our Father God also values every human life. Every single baby that's ever been conceived is marvelously fashioned in the image of our Creator. Just because some babies never enjoy life outside the womb does not erase the fact that their life is sacred. That their life has great value in the sight of God. Think about this. In the beginning, 
In the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. You see, God set forth human life on a level that's above every other kind of life on this planet. All humans are unique. All humans are distinctive and very valuable in the sight of God. And according to the Bible, only humans bear his image. Only humans bear God's image. Therefore, every tiny human life bears the image of God and is sacred in the sight of God. Every human being has a living soul. And when God created man, Genesis said, that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and get this, and man became a living soul. Every person has a living soul, a soul that has the capacity to spend eternity with God. But not only does our Father God design every human life and value every human life, but it's interesting to me that our Father God also distinguishes between children and adults. Remember this in your Old Testament scriptures. When the nation of Israel willfully sinned against God, refused to enter the promised land, they were punished, forced to wander the wilderness for how long? Forty years. But God did not hold their children accountable. God did not hold their children responsible. God did not punish their children for the sins of those parents. For the children indeed entered the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 139, the Bible says, Moreover, God says, Moreover, your little ones and your children who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it, the promised land. Now, any discussion of the fate who die, of fate of children who die as infants, uh, ultimately comes to something that's called the age of accountability. And that phrase, the age of accountability, refers to the age when a child becomes responsible to his own or her own relationship with God. That phrase has been around forever, but I want to tell you, it never appears here. It never appears there. There is no one age, no one age which every single person suddenly becomes accountable for either knowing the difference between good and evil or knowing the fact that they're a sinner. It's not 14, it's not 10, it's not 6. There is no one age that fits all. So what happens to the child who's not yet old enough or for that matter, the one whose mind is so impaired that they cannot grasp their need for salvation. What about them? John MacArthur asks a great question. Listen carefully. John says, how can we believe that God weeps over the lost? 
How can we believe that God pleads with willful sinners to be reconciled to him if he catapults millions and millions of innocent babies into hell and they, before they even reach a state of moral responsibility or can even distinguish between good and evil? What's John saying there? That's totally out of the character of God. That's totally out of the character of God. How then are these children saved? How are these who are so mentally impaired that they cannot understand their need for salvation, how are they saved? They're saved the same way you're saved. By grace. By the grace of God. But in this case, it's grace extended to those who cannot express faith. You can express faith. You have the choice. Little children don't yet have that ability. So not only do we have the character of our Heavenly Father, but I also want you to see the compassion of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. While on earth, Jesus absolutely loved hanging out with kids. He loved hanging out with children. In fact, do you remember in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, where he said, Then they brought, talking about the disciples, they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who were brought to them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Everybody's got to receive the grace of God. Amen. And so he took them, the children, up in his arms. He laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. And the, the phrasing in the original language is, he blessed them real good. Amen? He blessed them. According to verse 14, it was Jesus. It was the Son of God. It was God in the flesh, God with us, who took up these little children in his arms and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. I want to tell you this very clearly today, that infants who have died are in heaven. They are in heaven. When it comes to children and their place in heaven, Matthew 18, 14, perhaps sums it up the best about what Jesus was feeling. He said, even so, it's not the will of our Father who is in heaven that even one of these little ones perish. Not even one. So our Father God is concerned about our babies and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is passionate about our babies. But today... I also want you to see the confidence of King David. The confidence of David. Now, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. It was ironic. Uh, Brother Chad was in the chapter right after where I'm getting ready to go. But most everyone is familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, had walked away from God and had an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba. In an attempt to hide their relationship, David puts Bathsheba's husband in a position on the battlefield where he is ultimately killed. In essence, basically, King David killed Uriah. King David murdered Bathsheba's husband. Then, 
David took Bathsheba as his own wife, and they conceived a child. And it wasn't long thereafter that God's prophet Nathan come to David, and he tells David that his newborn son is going to die. His newborn son is going to die. The baby indeed becomes ill. And David begins to fast and to weep and to cry and to grieve. And he does so so much that his servants were afraid to tell the king when the child ultimately passed. Because they didn't know what the king would do. But then when King David learned that his son had died, King David absolutely astonished his servants. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself, and he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. Then he went up to his own house, and when he, when he requested, they sent food before him, and he ate. And his servants said to him, What is this you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? Verse 23. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And get this. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David said, I'm going where my infant son is going, but he shall not return to me. David knew that when his time on earth was done, that he would be reunited with his son. His infant son. But do you remember how David reacted when his second son, Absalom, was killed? When he learned his infant son died, David stopped mourning. But when he learned that his adult son had died, he started mourning. And he didn't just get upset. He didn't just cry a little. David was absolutely grief-stricken. He was absolutely inconsolable when Absalom was killed. What's the difference? What's the difference in those two reactions? David despaired for Absalom because he believed that he would never again see his wicked and rebellious adult son again. But he knew his infant son was in heaven and knew Absalom had died in his sin without repentance. In his series, Back to the Bible, Concerning Children in Heaven, J. Vernon McGee says this, I believe with all my heart that God will raise the little ones so that mother's arms who have ached to hold them will have that opportunity. The Father's hand, which never held that little hand, will indeed have that privilege. J. Vernon says, I believe that the little ones will grow up in heaven in the care of their earthly parents 
if their parents believed and were saved. But I wondered, I'm such a simple-minded preacher, amen? Why wouldn't God just plainly tell me that children who die in infancy go to heaven? Why wouldn't he just say that? Well, I think that Randy Alcorn might be on to something. He said, if children do go to heaven when they die, why doesn't God just tell us that directly? He said, it may be because God knows that we might get lazy. It may be that God knows that we might not realize the absolute urgency that you and I must have to see our little kids come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we knew outright, maybe we'd be a little less concerned about our God-given task to get the gospel out to children all over the world. Friend, have you grieved the loss of a child? If so, I believe there is sufficient evidence, sufficient reason for you to take heart. Your child is in heaven today. Your child is in heaven today awaiting your arrival. The more difficult question is this. Will you be in heaven with your baby? If your child was too young to make a decision and passed, he or she is in heaven. But friend, you're not too young to make a decision. So this time of reflection and this time of decision uh, yearns for you to examine your own life, to examine your own faith, to find out if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ because you are beyond the age of accountability. Now, I'm not trying to say in any way that parents who have children awaiting them in heaven automatically go to heaven because they don't. But if you desire to see your child again, if you desire to enjoy that heavenly reunion, make no doubt about it, you must be reborn. You must be, be, be born again, receiving the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, while this message was written to couples that have lost children, lost babies, it certainly has far-reaching ramifications for all of us. We have family who are awaiting us in heaven. But we have to examine our own lives to see if we'll have that heavenly reunion with them or not. So during this decision time, I pray you'll listen to God. You'll listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. And if you've never made a decision placing all your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, that you make today your day. Make that heavenly reunion the greatest blessing you've ever, ever thought of. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your concern for people, and especially...
During the song, Father, as you speak to them, Lord, if they choose to respond, Father, I pray that you encourage them to just come up, take my hand, and Lord, make their eternity in heaven a surety. But Lord, there are also those here this morning that perhaps had questions about their dance. And Lord, such a wonderful time as this for prayer and encouragement and reminder. Let's all stand.